Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund. It's also made possible by the Kislak Family Foundation, supporter of education, arts, humanities, and Florida history, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Brokemarkle, and coming up on the program, the Florida Public Archaeology Network is presenting Cemetery Resource Protection Training, or CRIPT courses, in historic cemeteries around the state. Cemeteries are outdoor museums. You know, what happens above ground is reflected in the headstones and what's happening below the surface as well. We'll talk with Dick Wells, who appeared in the 1954 movie The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which was shot at Wakulla Springs. It was very critical that you did everything you're supposed to do because they hated the waste film. St. Michael's Historic Cemetery in Pensacola and more ahead on Florida Frontiers. Students taking the CRIPT course presented by the Florida Public Archaeology Network get hands-on experience cleaning historic headstones using approved methods that will preserve them for generations to come. The CRIPT course focuses on the preservation of historic cemeteries, laws regulating these sites, and the proper cleaning of headstones. The CRIPT course was developed by Sarah Miller, director of the FPAN Northeast region. For me, coming from my former life as a research archaeologist doing more cemetery work, it just seemed to come about organically that there was a lot of need in the community of people wanting to volunteer, get active, do something about the cemeteries. So it developed as, um, you know, addressing the needs of cities with their... um, abandoned cemeteries and a way to deliver classroom instruction but so important to get that hands-on component out in the field so they can they can tomorrow go out and get active cleaning some headstones. FPAN's crypt courses have been presented in historic cemeteries around the state including northeast Florida, west Florida, and most recently in east central Florida. Any cemetery anyway is going to be different from another and each one of the crypts is really uh, such a different offering based on the cemetery. So the first crypt we did was in Palatka, where there are four city-owned cemeteries. There were some people volunteering to clean but using harmful chemicals, and we were trying to give some education for the city on what materials to use while cleaning and not doing harm and uh, get those kind of more civic volunteers involved. Whereas, you know, the next crypt up would be more like this one. You have more historic preservation Um, history-interested people that are just wanting to do some community service and aren't as interested as in the laws or the chemical makeup. So those would be in, like this, private-owned cemeteries by an organization. Uh, The cemetery we're at today has just maybe a dozen headstones. And so half of our crypts have had that small character feel, but some have been in large, you know, thousands of headstones, these large cemeteries. Having taught the hands-on crypt courses throughout Northeast Florida, Sarah Miller is training personnel in other FPAN regions to instruct students. 
Rachel Wentz is director of FPAN's East Central Region. Kevin Gadusko, my outreach coordinator, and I are actually here to observe Sarah because we want to be able to uh, bring this to our own region. And since Sarah has really spearheaded this whole project and brought it toward the, to, throughout the state, we're here to kind of learn from her. So we spent the morning going over how to do just what we're doing, how to clean headstones, how to take into consideration all the management aspects of a cemetery, all the preservation aspects, like not only the care of the headstones, but the grounds themselves, trees, obstructions, access, all of those issues that come into effect when dealing with cemeteries. So we spent the morning within the race house going over those programs. We talked about the laws that regulate not only cemeteries, but unmarked burials, human remains, what to do when they're discovered. And then, of course, this afternoon, has spent putting this into action and letting the students have a chance to come out and, and learn, you know, use what they've learned. The Cemetery Resource Protection Training, or CRIPT course, that we visited took place at the historic Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley. After a morning of instruction indoors, students from local colleges, historical societies, and other volunteers got hands-on experience in the historic Houston Cemetery from the late 19th century and early 20th century. Sarah Miller says that many volunteers in historic cemeteries mean well, but make big mistakes. Well, the number one is bleach. Bleach is a household product. It's inexpensive, and the intent is in the right place. They want to help protect the cemetery and clean it up. But the bleach, because of the salts, is reacting with impurities in the stone. They're actually causing um, destruction of the stone down the road or permanent staining. So it's been a very good education campaign coming out of Crypt is not to use bleach, just use water like we have today with really dramatic results or conservation grade biocides or cleaners that have been accepted by conservation groups. But in you know a word, Crypt is all about protection. What's going to make sure this cemetery is here a hundred years from now? And it's not just the cleaning, but we talked about how to record um, a cemetery for the Florida Master Site file. And according to all the experts I've talked to, that's the number one thing you can do to protect a cemetery is get it listed in the state's inventory of cemetery sites. Kevin Gadusko is outreach coordinator for the FPAN East Central Region. He and volunteer Patty Goodson have been mapping historic cemeteries and getting them recorded in Florida's master site file. It was a project that really begun under my predecessor, Greg Harding, uh, with Patricia uh, Goodson uh, as an intern for, through University of Central Florida. And what they did was compile a list of known historic cemeteries in Brevard County, uh, compare that with the Florida Master Site File, and set about recording those that are not in the Florida Master Site File. We first uh, just get an overview of the cemetery and record the size and kind of um, a general opinion of the significance and uh, the threats that are currently facing the cemetery. We try to analyze just a broad um, details of the cemetery and then record that to the state. As the process of documenting historic cemeteries continues, Kevin Gadusko and Patty Goodson say that crypt courses can help volunteers preserve and properly maintain the sites. Certainly it's something that we'd like to continue and sort of uh, bring into the project that we've already begun. There are certain, certainly many other cemeteries that we can go revisit and sort of take care of. A lot of them are left to the elements, uh, vegetation. That's one of the biggest threats to a lot of the cemeteries in Brevard County. Um, many of them are just completely overgrown, so little TLC would go a long way. Right, there's a lot of uh, issues with we can't figure out who owns the cemeteries, so therefore no one really takes care of them. So they leave it to the state or the county or the city to take care of them, and sometimes they're neglected in that way. So we need to definitely go in and take care of them as part of our project.
Jessica Swenson participated in a recent crypt course. Um, I am an anthropology student at UCF, so I saw this course um, was offered as an extracurricular uh, through our um, undergraduate um, Hominids Anonymous group. And I've always just been interested in cemeteries and gravestones. I grew up, you know, right down the street from, so they've always kind of had like an interesting thing, an interesting feeling, an interesting quality about them to me. And what was the best thing about this uh, Oh, I loved doing the field, like, hands-on, cleaning the gravestones. I mean, it it really shows you, you know, how this is a great course. It shows you how to, you know, care for the gravestones and cemeteries, and it's it was a lot of fun. Um, it shows you what a difference, you know, just one person can make. Charlene Mays also took the crypt course at the Houston Cemetery. I'm a mortuary science major, and ever since I was little, I've basically I've been fascinated with people that have passed and gone on, and um, I think, you know, the, to honor them is the best thing. And so I'm going into embalming, and I think this would be a great thing to do. As Educational Resources Coordinator for the Florida Historical Society, Ben DiBiase helps to manage the historic Rossiter House Museum and Gardens, including the Houston Cemetery. You know, at the Rossiter House uh, Museum, we don't have any sort of formal training and maintenance of uh, maintenance of historic cemeteries. So this has really provided us a basic level uh, of how to, to maintain the day-to-day, how to keep them clean. Uh, so actually, on an annual basis, we're going to start holding probably public days, have volunteers come out, and the lessons that we got from this course, we're going to help uh, to teach others and, and maintain the cemetery using the uh, now you know best standard practices. The Cemetery Resource Protection Training, or CRYPT course, provides students with skills to preserve cemeteries and a unique opportunity to contemplate many periods of Florida history. Sarah Miller. Cemeteries are outdoor museums. You know, what happens above ground is reflected in the headstones and what's happening below the surface as well. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org to find out about upcoming events and much more. Like us on Facebook at Florida Historical Society to get our daily postings of This Day in Florida History and much more. is the 500th anniversary of the naming of our state by Juan Ponce de Leon. The Florida Historical Society is recognizing this important occasion with a very special event. The FHS 2013 Annual Meeting and Symposium will be held May 23rd through May 26th on board the Carnival Cruise Ship Sensation. 
Prominent Florida historians and archaeologists will discuss Florida's native people, the Spanish colonial period, and the last 500 years of Florida history. We'll take exclusive historic tours in Nassau, Bahamas, before returning to Port Canaveral following the same route taken by Ponce de Leon 500 years before. Just $500 provides you with conference registration, the cruise, food and drinks on board ship, the historic tours, and more. For more information, go to myfloridahistory.org. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'll be there, and I hope to see you on board. Find out more at myfloridahistory.org. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. In 1513, Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon landed on Florida's shore, beginning a cultural relationship between Spain and Florida that will be commemorated throughout the state on its 500th anniversary in 2013. This moment in Florida history features Bonnie McEwen, Director of Archaeology at Mission San Luis, Tallahassee. The history of Spanish Florida is filled with accounts of intrigue and sometimes tragedy. One day at Mission San Luis, near present-day Tallahassee, the wife of the deputy governor told an Appalachian Indian woman to collect chestnuts for her. The woman asked not to go, saying her young daughter had an infirmity and required constant attention. The deputy governor's wife insisted, assuring her that she would watch over the child. When the Appalachian woman returned a few hours later, her daughter was nowhere to be found. Later, the child was discovered drowned in a nearby spring. It is unknown if the little girl wandered off on her own, if she was sent to collect water and had an accident, or if something more sinister took place. Regardless, the death of a child is no less heartbreaking today than it was then, 300 years ago. Bonnie McEwen is Director of Archaeology at Mission San Luis, Tallahassee. This moment in Florida history was created and produced by the Florida Humanities Council with funds from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, commemorating 500 years of Spanish history and culture in Florida. This is Florida Frontiers. He was a strange one, a relic from an age long forgotten. Some music he liked, some upset him terribly. He loved parties and party music. He was so dull. After all, what ideas can the creature from the Black Lagoon have? He only wants to feast on the grapes of wrath. Dick Wells had a part in the 1954 movie The Creature from the Black Lagoon, 
He was a student at FSU when the film was shot in McCullough Springs. Janie Gould has more. Dick Wells organized Indian River Junior College's nationally acclaimed swim programs in the 1970s. When he was a student at Florida State University, he had an underwater role in the 1954 horror flick, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. What was it? Science didn't know. But the tale about a beast in the Amazon was filmed at Wakulla Springs in North Florida. Wells first tried out to be the creature itself. I tried the suit on and it just was too small for me. What did you do in the movie? I chased the creature. They would spot the creature from the boat and point, then I would dive and I carry a gun with me. And the gun had what they called rotenone. It was really condensed milk. And when you pull the trigger, a big cloud of white milk came out. Was that supposed to be underwater gunpowder or something? Something like that, yes. They put those movies together in little pieces. When you say those movies, there was the original Creature from the Black Lagoon, then there were two sequels. Creature Walks Among Us and I think Return of the Creature. They make the movies like in comic strips. They take little strips of tape and then put it all together. It was very critical that you did everything you're supposed to do because they hated to waste film. You swam underwater without supplemental oxygen. How long could you hold your breath? I don't know exactly how long. Most people can't hold their breath longer than five minutes or so. I wasn't down that long. We had the supplemental air handy so we could go over and get some whenever we needed it. And you swam the uh, crawl underwater, right? You didn't just do a little dog paddle. Right. They wanted someone to be swimming like they were swimming on the surface underwater. Can you be seen in these movies? They don't see my face. I was bald. They wanted me to have hair. So they penciled it in with a makeup pencil. They took carbon paper and rubbed it over my head to take the shine off. They paid us pretty well, not great. I would do almost anything to satisfy their needs. For a struggling college student especially, I'm sure it was good money. I think it was $250. Do you have the movies? Do you watch them from time to time? We have one of the movies. They made three movies, and I think they pieced them together. So it's kind of hard to just think who's who underwater. Did the creature finally get what was coming to him? He did. The creature was subdued. In one movie, he came alive again on shore. It was a low-budget movie, to say the least. The safety people were girls from Wikiwachi Springs who were underwater swimmers. Nothing happened to you, but something happened to one of your buddies underwater? He was not a very accomplished swimmer. The hardest part about it was with the weight belt on, coming up to the surface and receiving instructions. Treading water and keeping your head up with a weight belt on is not easy. So he looked at me and through the mask said, I'm drowning. So I held him up. Another thing that happened was I went down without clearing my ears. My mask filled with blood. That wasn't very nice to see. Of course, I didn't show it. They had to reshoot that scene? Well, yes. It was just one of those things that can happen to you if you're a little careless, I guess. You survived it all and made a little bit of extra money. The biggest thing about it was being there and being in the movie. Uh, Of course, the money was important at that time, too. Dick Wells was director of athletics at Indian River Junior College, which is now Indian River State College, from 1973 until 1979. He designed and guided construction of the aquatic facility on the main campus. Janie Gould spoke with Dick Wells.
This is Florida Frontiers. Earlier in the program, we visited the historic Houston Cemetery in East Central Florida. Bill Dudley takes us to St. Michael's Historic Cemetery in Pensacola. In the heart of downtown Pensacola, historic St. Michael's Cemetery may hold the remains of some of Florida's first European settlers, according to University of West Florida archaeologist Marco Stringfield. It's quite possible that the area right within or around St. Michael's Cemetery was being used as a burying place by the British as early as the 1760s. The oldest marked grave in the cemetery dates to 1811, and we do have a good bit of archival research that ties it into Pensacola's second Spanish period, which uh, began in the 1780s. Stringfield is principal investigator for the St. Michael's Cemetery Restoration Project. She says over the years, hurricanes and other natural forces have taken their toll on the cemetery, as well as misguided efforts to tidy up around the grounds. But ironically, the single most destructive event in recent history may also have been one of the most beneficial for St. Michael's long-term preservation. Well, in the spring of 99, we had a particularly violent episode of vandalism in St. Michael's Cemetery, and it really drew people's attention. It uh, really galvanized our community, and uh, people stepped forward. Uh, Community groups, individuals just came forward and said, what can we do to help? And so we have had a wonderful outcome pouring of public response. The university spearheaded a broad-based initiative involving the city's preservation board, private industry, schools, even local theater groups, all to inform the public of the challenges facing St. Michael's, as well as why we should preserve sites like this around the state. The history of the cemetery and how it developed is usually also indicative of how the community around it developed. The markers themselves can tell us status of the people, their religion, their ethnic background. It can give us clues about epidemics that have moved through the area, aging populations, all types of information. Sharon Thompson, founder and head of the Center for Historic Cemeteries Preservation, says today's cemeteries are the product of some two centuries of evolution. Most American burial traditions that we see now had their root in medieval Europe. 300 years ago, most of the burying places were associated with churches. People of high rank were buried, sometimes in the floor of the church or in caverns beneath the church, outside the church in the yard. And as the graveyard got more and more crowded with corpses, the graves would be reused. And in many cases, the sanitary conditions were abominable. The late 1700s saw a movement away from the church and eventually out of the town itself. 19th century cemeteries became greener and more friendly, paving the way for the professionally managed lawns and memorial gardens of 20th century America. The cemeteries were on large tracts of land outside of the urban area. They were often landscaped beautifully with different types of trees and patterns of paths and lakes and ponds and statuary that made the cemetery more like a park. All this reflects modern America's trend away from personal contact with the dead. It used to be that when people died, the family and the community washed the body, dug the grave, did the funeral. And as the funeral process became more secular, more professional, 
that led to the rise of these types of cemeteries. Meanwhile, Florida has been one of the first states in the nation to recognize the importance of its historic cemeteries, funding efforts to preserve sites in Key West, St. Augustine, Tallahassee, as well as St. Michael's. And this is what you would see off of the radar from that area. These are three contiguous lines, uh, one space one meter apart. At a well-attended public meeting, townspeople learn how UWF archaeologists are working with NASA scientists using ground-penetrating radar to develop a GIS, or Geographic Information System, to map the location of everything above and below ground. We have also tied this to a database of tombstone information, and this is going to be available to the public. So in essence, you'll be able to take a um, virtual tour of the cemetery, click onto any name or any tombstone, and be able to pull up all of the information that we have about that tombstone. Margot Stringfield says a cemetery like St. Michael's is reflective both of a culture and a society. If you look in St. Michael's Cemetery, you would see a cross-section of the very diverse population that made up the founding of our city and was very instrumental in how Pensacola was formed. You see not only a real vivid picture of the people that were in Pensacola, but also the events that affected them. We, we see a wonderful example of the people that came to Pensacola from all over the world to make their lives here on the Gulf Coast frontier. I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida Humanities Council. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. 2013 is the 500th anniversary of the naming of our state by Juan Ponce de Leon. The Florida Historical Society is recognizing this important occasion with a very special event. The FHS 2013 Annual Meeting and Symposium will be held May 23rd through May 26th on board the Carnival Cruise Ship Sensation. Prominent Florida historians and archaeologists will discuss Florida's native people, the Spanish colonial period, and the last 500 years of Florida history. We'll take exclusive historic tours in Nassau, Bahamas before returning to Port Canaveral following the same route taken by Ponce de Leon 500 years before. Just $500 provides you with conference registration, the cruise, food and drinks on board ship, the historic tours, and more. For more information, go to myfloridahistory.org. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'll be there, and I hope to see you on board. Find out more at myfloridahistory.org. Have a great week. I'm Ben Brokemarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund.
It's also made possible by the Kislak Family Foundation, supporter of education, arts, humanities, and Florida history, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach.